Blue Shine Out War podcast coming your way, podcast number 315. It's a Q&A episode. Steve Smee here and Rick in the house. How's it going, buddy? Hey, what's up, Steve? What's up, guys? How's everybody doing out there? All right, guys. Hope everyone's doing good. We have five great topics. Let's start with the first one. First one was a question sent in. It's a really good question. Estrogen. And this guy's saying he um, crashed his estrogen while on cycle. He overdid it with his aromatized inhibitor, with his uh, aromatized And he wants to know how to get it back up. So first off, you know, one of the big misconceptions we see out there um, and in the medical community, we see this a lot. And it's that even, you know, the, the best medical professionals don't quite understand this. But when you have low estrogen levels, it's not a good thing for a lot of reasons. And I can go through a bunch of reasons right now. Uh, one of the main reasons it's uh, mood, depression. You're going to feel tired. You're going to feel non-motivated. Also, your joints can start aching if you got low estrogen. Your libido, your erectile strength, all, this type of, all these types of issues can, can crop up when you have low estrogen. Now, high estrogen is not a good thing either. And that's one of the bro science myths that we see out there by a lot of guys. They think, yeah, let me just um, make my estrogen go sky high. Who cares? And I'm here to tell you that that's not good either. So you need to balance your estrogen when you're, while you're on cycle. So everyone wants to know, you know, they always ask me, Steve, you know, what's, what's the dosage? What, what kind of dosages should I run of my, my aromatized inhibitor, my AI, my aromastin, my ADEX? What are my dosages supposed to be? And I tell them, guys, it just depends. It depends on what you're running. If you're running a TRT dose of testosterone, you are, you're not going to need an AI. If you're running a correct TRT dose, you're not going to need an AI. If you're running an incorrect dose where you're running too much, which a lot of guys do, way too many guys do, because they go to these anti-aging clinics, the anti-aging clinics want to make money. So they're going to put you on a lot more than you need for TRT. Then in that case, you're going to need an AI to keep your estrogen balanced. Otherwise, it's probably going to go, it's going to go sky high. So it really depends, guys. At the end of the day, you've got to learn what works for your body. Everyone's going to be different. So you got to balance it. Blood work. Blood work doesn't lie. You can go get blood work done. It's going to tell you. It's going to give you a snapshot exactly what's going on. So then you can adjust your AI up or down from there. And then you can test again another two to three weeks, see where things are. You should be, you should get a good read on how your body reacts. If you have a lot of fat on your body, it is true that if you run aromatizing compounds, you stand to have a higher risk of having estrogen side effects. So you got to keep that in mind. My opinion on this, guys, is that you want to keep your estrogen in range. On cycle, you want to keep it in range during post-cycle. And you want to keep it in range, you know, obviously off cycle too. So you should not have an issue. So this guy, he wants to know how he's supposed to get it back up. And my answer to him is simple. Stop taking an AI. Let your estrogen bounce, run blood work, see where you're at. And then you can gradually reintroduce an AI if you need it. But if you don't need an AI because you're not running enough aromatizing compounds, it shouldn't be an issue. Rick, what do you think? I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. And 
I do think guys overuse the aromatase inhibitors. Now, I'm prone to gynecomastia, and like I've said in podcasts, I use Novadex almost pretty much most of the time. It's harder to go wrong with Novadex than it is to go wrong with aromasin, right? Because Novadex is just blocking estrogen at the receptor site in your nipples where we don't want it to get to because we don't want gynecomastia. When it comes to aromasin, you're lowering estrogen levels across the board. And this has other effects. You know, you need proper estrogen levels to get an erection, to maintain proper blood lipid profile, for your joints to repair properly, uh, skin, bones. I mean, there's just a bunch of different functions that you need proper estrogen for. Not only that, but you need estrogen in order to make good muscle gains. A lot of guys are killing their gains, taking all this aromasin on top of their D-ball and on top of their testosterone, taking all this aromasin when a little bit of that extra estrogen does help your gains. And no, guys, I'm not just talking about, oh, it's an extra water weight because of the estrogen. Yeah, some of that. But the estrogen also contributes to your protein synthesis and your real muscle growth, the real muscle that you can actually keep afterwards. So a lot of you guys out there may actually be killing some of your gains by overdoing the aromasin. I like the Nova because it, it takes care of the one side effect that I'm really concerned with, which is gynecomastia and maybe having to go under the knife to get those glands removed at some point down the line. So I'm really happy to use the Novadex and not have to worry about that. But when it comes to lowering overall estrogen, I personally unless I'm feeling the bloat and actually feel the additional estrogen and things getting out of control, I won't slam the AIs. There's some, because I've used testosterone for so long, I, I can gauge my testosterone dosage with whether I need an AI or not just before the cycle starts. But every once in a while, it'll send me for a loop and I realize the same dosage is dropping estrogen too much or vice versa. The same dose is actually letting estrogen get too high. So even then I still have to tweak it. But yeah, guys, don't be afraid of estrogen is this, is this evil thing. No, you need some of it. You need some of it for health and you need some of it for muscle growth during your cycle. So lowering it estrogen overall is not, is not the, best, uh, the best idea, not the best way to go about it. Blood work, blood work, blood work, guys. Blood and, work even then, and even then, Steve, you have to, you have to know yourself because sometimes on the paper, the estrogen could be a little bit high, but depending on how high it is in relation to your testosterone, you might have some joint problems or you might have issues with, issues with your libido and things like that. So you do need the blood work to know where you really stand numbers-wise, and you also need to know yourself, absolutely. You'll learn yourself the more you get experience with this, but without blood work, it's going to be you need much those more numbers. challenging. You it's need those be, numbers to reference you, right? Yeah. It's like building a house without the blueprints. You're just guessing. But like if you get blood work done, you can actually like see in black and white what, what's going on. So it's very important to get that blood work as you go along. And then you can kind of get a read on how your body is. But also keep in mind, your body is going to change. So, you know, if you ran steroids five years ago, and then now you're going to run steroids again, you're going to have, you may have the same type of situation now, but it may also be very different. You may be more prone to estrogen. You may be less prone to estrogen. You may, you may, you may need more of an AI. You may need less of an AI. You know, so 
your bodies do change over time. Um, and there's really no way to know that unless you do it. So it's very important to do it, guys. Uh, it reminds me of those guys who go into the gym and they throw on like three plates on the bench press and then they can't even do like one rep. It's like, you know, not knowing your body is a huge disadvantage when it comes to fitness, when it comes to athletics. Uh, the best athletes of all time, you ask them, you know, how fast can you run the 40? How much can you bench? What, how healthy are you? Are you conditioned the way you want to be? They can give you their exact percentage of where they're at conditioning wise, where they're at when it comes to the off season. Those are the best athletes. Those are the athletes like Tom Brady who lasts 20 years as a professional or Wayne Gretzky, some of the, you know, Michael Jordan. These are the best athletes of all time. But then the athletes that flame out, they have like two, three good years. They look like they're going to be great athletes, professionals, and then they just flame out out of nowhere. What happened? They didn't know their body. They didn't learn their body. They didn't understand their body. Any, any sport, weight training, powerlifting, bodybuilding, anything, you got to know your body. You got to learn your body. So if you're just – it's just like, you know, playing a game. You know, if you're not improving at it over time, then you're never going to succeed at it. You have to push yourself and you have to learn – your own body over time. Nobody can teach you this stuff. You've got to learn this stuff on your own and you have to have that blueprint as you go along to give you the best, uh, best chance. All right, guys. So next topic is sharing secrets in the steroid world. Is that wise? Shouldn't we keep things secret? This was a question sent in. And uh, Rick, I'm going to bring you in early on this one. What do you think about this question? Because we do this podcast and we're sharing a lot of information out there to people for free. We're giving out 40, 50 years of combined experience for free to people. And you have some people that think, well, shouldn't it be like kind of a magician who doesn't disclose their secrets because it's going to piss off other magicians? Then you have other people say, well, shouldn't you not be talking about this stuff? Because now you're encouraging people to use these very, very powerful hormones, even if someone is too young to be using these powerful hormones, on and on and on. So what do you, what do you think about this question, the morality of sharing this information that we, we do on this podcast? I think we should share everything that we know and we learn with other human beings. You know, whatever course you take in life, wherever your desires and your opportunities lead you and whatever you learn, it is kind of sort of your job, your duty to, I don't know, as a person, human being, member of society, to take everything you learn and make sure that it doesn't go to the grave with you, to make sure that you share it. To what degree, or how far you go for that, it, that depends on you. I've decided that I'm not going to be ashamed of the fact that I have uh, used steroids through my life and that I've learned about it. And I'm helping other guys that are interested in steroids. And yes, this is where it makes us criminals to be using steroids. And most people frown upon it. People that hate on you because you're a big guy, uh, your family members that don't understand it and think that you're killing yourself, your, your significant other 
that's a little bit, maybe a little bit secretly jealous that you look so damn good. All of those things. So that's just been my place, the place that I've picked for myself in the world with the place where God kind of led me. It was just to, to be this guy to share this information. I talk to people, gather as much as I can, experiment on myself, read everything I can get my hands on. And then I, I restructure that information for folks and, and help them out. And that's been my place in the world. So that's what I've decided to do. Now, to you guys out there listening to this podcast, if you're just a regular Joe and you do something else for a living, other industry, you're into something else. Should you be, should you be sharing what you learn on this podcast with other people? And here's your answer. If they're a newbie, if they don't already take steroids, no, you probably shouldn't. You probably shouldn't talk about it with people at work. You probably shouldn't talk about it with any new persons. You probably should not be the guy to introduce someone who's natural into the steroid world. You should not be the, the guy who enables someone to cross that gate. Now, if you're at the gym or somewhere and you see another big guy, you know, you see another big dude and you know he's on the sauce and he knows you're on the sauce and you guys start sharing some secrets, some info, that's a different story. But definitely don't go and, and educate people on cycles and PCT and all this stuff when they're newbies, they don't know anything. And maybe they weren't even thinking about taking steroids, but, but you're sitting there talking to them about it. You probably should not do that. If this is the lifestyle choice you made, then you, you know, you go all out, you listen to the podcast, you take the sauce, you experiment in yourself, you journal your progress, you take the blood work, you, you do this. And then you don't, don't bring anybody else along. That would be my, that would be my opinion on it, guys. Just don't bring anybody else along. If they're already doing it, maybe, and they're doing it wrong, maybe help somebody out. But if they're on the fence, if they don't know, just advise them to stay natural advise them to get their training and their diet game in order, you know, have them take bridge. You know, that's good. If you want a muscle builder to give someone bridge, HG generate ES, you know, help, help them out to stay natty. If you can, don't, don't be the gateway for anybody. That's what I would tell all you guys. I have to bear the burden along the way of my name being attached to this content and my name and my face and my pictures and everything being attached to, to putting this word out and, and bringing this content along. And, and I'm willing to accept whatever responsibilities and whatever happens from that consequences, everything I'm ready to accept it because this is, this is my place in the world, but you guys doing something different with your lives and, and having a different path in your lives. This might just, you might just want to keep this a secret for yourselves and for other like-minded individuals and definitely not share any of this with, uh, with newbies or, or people that are not about the lifestyle or people that also don't have something to share back with you, in my opinion. What do you think? You know what? I'm going to take a different approach on this. I think I kind of understand where this person is coming from a little bit. And here, here's where they're right. If you go on social media and you look at YouTube and you look at Instagram and even Facebook and stuff, all these big social media platforms, and then Reddit, of course, you know, and, and even like steroid forums, most people have no clue what they're talking about. But the thing is, they'll talk and, you know, they'll, they'll give out information. A lot of information they'll give out 
and maybe five or 10% of that information is, is accurate. It's kind of like fluff. It's like that show every morning called Good Morning Football. It's on the NFL Network. You guys ever watch that? It's like, it's a three hour show or four hour show. And most of the show is just fluff. They just kill time on the show because you can't sit there for three, four hours talking about football. So they'll talk about things going on in the, in, in, with celebrities. They'll talk about, you know, they'll do games on the show. They'll do interviews with, with coaches and players to try to kill the three or four hours, but you're not really getting good breaking news. You're not getting, getting good information on the sport. So if you went on YouTube, for example, and you downloaded a hundred hours of information on this stuff, and then how much of that out of that hundred hours would be actually good information and not just cookie cutter, um, repeating the same shit over and over again, the bro science and just some guy who thinks because he has a hundred thousand subscribers, that makes him special. It makes him, um, his opinion matter to people. And if you ask a normal person on the street, have you ever heard of this person, even though they have like a hundred thousand or a million subscribers on YouTube, they're not going to know who the fuck they are, you know, for the most part. So they think that they actually are like giving out information and being useful to people and they're not. So it's just too, it's TMI. It's too much information out there. So when there's too much information out there on the subject, it gets watered down tremendously. So that's what we try not to do on this podcast. We try not to give you cookie cutter information. We try not to tell you like when it comes to diet, we're not going to sit here and say, Oh, count your calories every day. Like, like you're little robots. Like we're following weight watchers. You got to get 50 more calories a day than you're burning or you're not going to weight, gain weight. We don't sit here and tell you that. But a lot of these guys do because they're cookie cutters. So the cookie cutter information out there is just horrible. Like if YouTube just one day just went through and just wiped out every fitness site, I would, be, I would think that would benefit society because I'd rather no information be spread than 95% of the information be bullshit. And I don't think we're going anywhere by having bad information out there. And, um, you know, so I kind of know where this person is coming from. But on this podcast, guys, if you're lucky enough to have found this podcast, it's a blessing because we're able to give you good quality content free on this podcast. So big credit to, you know, our, our producers who produce the show, our sponsors who sponsor the show for allowing the show to continue over 300 episodes and going. And we're, I'm sure one day we'll hit 500 episodes or a thousand episodes the way it's going. So, you know, that's, that's the, that's, I kind of, so I kind of see that his perspective, anything else you want to add, Rick? Yeah. We couldn't uh, address a question about secrets without kind of bottom lining really what this podcast is sort of about and who this podcast is kind of for. Steve and I have all this experience with steroids. And if you guys go back, we've done profiles on pretty much every steroid out there. We've used, I've used almost everything out there at one point, point or another, just because I like to experiment of myself. And that's just who I am. I've always been like that since I was a kid. But the bottom line that we found with all of these years of experience is that the average guy, the average user, that is not competing towards a certain, to look a certain way towards a certain date, that is not trying to be a certain weight with a certain strength by a certain date. The average guy that is just the big guy at the office, it's just the, the ripped dad at the barbecue. 
You know, the only dad on the street that doesn't have a dad bod. If when you're just that regular guy, you don't need to slam a bunch of crazy synthetic steroids and, and stimulants and a bunch of crap to get a, a just a regular kind of good look. A little bit of testosterone, a little bit of equipoise, I, I always tell people. A little oral here or there, maybe a psalm or two. Not a, not a lot. And just make sure you're consistent and you have everything else figured out, the training and the diet, and it'll get you there. And this is kind of who this podcast is for. And yes, we provide the rest of the information because we have it and we want you to have it too. But at the end of the day, we don't think you need it. Now, if you're a next level guy, if you're a competitor, get it on stage, you got to have a coach. You know, you're not trying to get on stage here and getting your cycle information from a YouTube video or from a podcast or from just articles. You need a coach that can look at you. You need a coach that can help you learn how to pose properly. You know, you need a coach that could maybe tell you what these judges are looking for because he's brought guys there in front of them before. You know, you need, you need all of that. And that guy will have you, you know, take orals for eight and 10 weeks straight and, and all this stuff that competitors do and take diuretics and, and all these things that you really need to do once you get below seven, eight percent body fat to be a certain way by a certain date. And then that's where all these drugs come in and, and taking the different steroids and all these, all these crazy things. And if you need that information, you should have a coach. And if you don't have a coach, then you're, you're doing it wrong. But if you're not doing all of that, if you're just a regular guy, you know, if you're the super dad bot on the block, we're what you need right here. You know, we'll, we'll give you all of the information about every compound that is out there. We'll entertain you all day long. But in the end, we're always going to advise you to just take the safest route to just do just a little, tiniest little bit that you just need to get you where you want to be and move on. Don't, don't get too crazy with a bunch of different compounds and it's just not, not necessary. It's you're wasting money, wasting time, and you're wasting your health away on gains that if you want to experiment on yourself and just feel what trembolone feels like or feel what something feels like for one cycle, I guess why not? But it shouldn't be, you know, doing trembolone a couple of times a year shouldn't be your crutch to having a, a decent beach body, you know, for your significant other. You know, trembolone is too much to have to run a couple of trend cycles a year just to, just to look decent with your shirt off for, for your significant other and your family. I mean, it's, it's, Let's be realistic. At least that's my opinion. And that's what you're going to hear on this podcast, uh, along with all the other information we give you. So. All right, guys. Next topic is sex drive went down after having baby, even while on steroids. So this question came in. I'm not sure if this is from a male or a female, um, but let's say it's both sexes and let's talk about this uh, so basically they're saying while on steroids you know the androgens make them you know libido to go up and stuff so they're saying even at, even with taking steroids their libido still drops so you know let's kind of talk about it with both genders because a lot of men have this problem with their wives you know there's an imbalance like you may have a high libido she may have a low libido or vice versa. And there's an imbalance that gets created over time. 
So, Rick, I'm going to bring you in on this one because you've had babies. Have you noticed either situation happen? And before you answer, I do have a friend who had a baby. And I'll tell you, after he had the baby, we used to, we used to work out together. We used to go running together and all kinds of stuff. After he had his baby, I haven't seen the guy. All he does is bitch and moan about how the baby wakes him up in the middle of the night, how he's got to feed the baby in the middle of the night. You know how they take turns, they can't sleep. He sleeps like three, four hours because the baby's up all night screaming and crying. So if that's the case and you have to deal with that stuff with a baby, I can completely understand why your libido would go down just off of that. Because if you can't sleep at night, it's going to kill your libido. If you're stressed out, you know, with a baby crying and screaming all night, that's going to stress you out. So I'm going to bring you on, on this one, Rick. Yeah, if the baby is affecting your sleep patterns, if maybe your wife is not so much up to it, and maybe if the opportunity is, is doesn't quite present itself, then yeah, maybe that could happen. But look, if you think you're having a libido problem with your, with your partner, try this. Just try actually laying down and cuddling and kissing and having good foreplay. If, if it's not going up, if you don't feel like it, after sticking your hand down her pajamas uh, or up, whatever it is, right, or her gown, then you might have an issue. But a lot of times what happens is you think you don't have good libido because you don't have those opportunities to be sexy, to be kind of sexy with each other. You don't get to shower together and lay on the couch together. And, and it's when you get that closeness that all of a sudden you get in the mood. So just make sure to go out of your way to create moments when you're in the mood. So if you have a chance where she's laying down and she's not sleepy and you're not sleepy, make sure to lay down next to her and just initiate, get kissing. But get I can, uh, and, and I can see if you have a baby of changing a dirty baby diaper and having a, you know, I did all of that. I, you know, baby, I can see how that can kill the mood is what I'm saying. Uh, nah, you know what I'm saying? man. Nah, dude, let me tell you something. Maybe you haven't, had children, but I've had kids and you don't care what that diaper smells like. You don't care where they keep you up. You just, you love that, that little thing you got there. He's just opening his eyes. You, you love the whole process. It's, it's part of, it's just part of evolution. It, it's in, in you. No, no, I'm saying you love the process, but I'm saying, wouldn't that kind of kill the mood if you have to change a dirty diaper or, you know, um, feed a baby and something like, wouldn't it kill the mood libido? Like if you guys are about to, you know, have some time together and the baby starts screaming and you got to get up and go feed the baby or change the baby's diaper, wouldn't that just kill the mood? The, baby, got something on the baby is going to sleep twice the amount of hours or more than you are. So I've never quite, at least for me, you just work it out. You know, you only need to sleep about six, maybe seven hours. That baby's going to be sleeping 15, 16, 17 hours. So if you somehow can't sleep, can't get it together because the baby is, you know, wakes up, no, you, you gotta, you gotta work it out. At least when it came to me, see, I can fall asleep pretty quickly at the drop of a hat and I can wake up pretty quickly. So if, if my kid fell asleep, I'd fall asleep right with him. And if he was up again in two, three hours, I'd get right up, take care of him, put him back to sleep and I'd be able to consolidate my sleep. And as long as I got my six, uh, uh, you know, seven hours, five hours in a 24 hour period, I'm fine but the baby needed 15. So I always had time to work and do my thing with all my three kids. So I don't, I don't know. Maybe if the baby decides to be awake during, you know, two, three, four in the morning and you have a work schedule, 
it's different. See, I've worked from home for, for quite a while. But no, I mean, what I found when it comes to libido, at least as a man, I get just, you, get just as, you get just as horny, man. You get just as horny, I've, I've, even, even if you're asleep, even if whatever. The only thing is, is you don't have those intimate kind of closeness moments with your, with your wife because she might be sleeping while you're up. Or you might be up while she's kind of asleep. And, and you just don't have those moments. You don't shower as much together. See, once the baby's already five, six, seven, you know, you can, you can let him sit uh, with some building blocks in front of the TV and you go take a, a shower with your old lady. He shouldn't get into too much trouble. You know, if you, if you have your, your house baby proof, you have all these things. But when you have a newborn, just those those opportunities don't create themselves. So you have to go out of your way to create them. That's what I found. That's what helped me. You know, I'm like, I'm thinking, Hey, wait a minute. It's been like, it's been like all day and I didn't even smash that. You know, let's make sure before the night is up, you know, I, I get some, I get some time. So what do you think is the issue here then? I think that's what it is. I think just the, the change in the schedule and the change in the rhythm of, of life has made it so that they have less close, close time together. And so the, the, that's why they're having less sex. And I think what he's, in, what he's interpreting is probably a, a drop in libido. See, he's the male. I don't know why his libido shouldn't drop because of the baby. Hers maybe, but not his, right? Okay, so why should hers drop, do you think? Well, hormones. Hers can increase or decrease. Hormones. She just went through shock. She carried a, another human being for nine months. So it could raise, it could lower. Also, there is uh, some trauma uh, at the time of birth, obviously. So it depends how long he's been, uh, you know, she's been, how she recovered from, from the trauma of childbirth and how things are working down there. All of those things come into play, Steve. So what I found with couples, whenever there's any kind of change in schedule, change in, in job in job schedules, is you you have to make sure like, all right, I'm sitting on my computer. She's sitting on the couch. I'm not in the mood right now. It's not because I have low libido. It's because she's on the couch and I'm on the fucking computer. But I don't know if I get over there and I, get, and I lay down next to her on the couch and I'll start pressing my crotch against her booty. I know I'm going to get a softy and then it's going to go hard and now I'm going to want to have sex. So my libido is not bad. It's just that for whatever reason, maybe because of the baby, I have to sit here and get this work done while she has a little bit of free time to watch some television and it, we don't sync it up. But if I was laying next to her or if she was maybe next to me here on a computer rubbing my leg, then we'd get in the mood. You know, and this is what I think just because he, he's the guy. There's no reason why his libido should, should drop. Maybe, a li maybe uh, the baby's affecting his sleep. But well, maybe she's turned them down for sex a lot in the past month or two. That could happen. She's got her end. Yeah, and, hormones. And they kind um, of that grew a lot of. Um, they grew a lot of. You know, uh, you know, they kind of he grew, kind of grew frustrated with her, and it kind of started a pattern type of situation. You know. You're gonna hear me on this podcast send people to therapists all the time because a lot of this stuff you need to you need to have somebody you can talk to about some of these feelings that are just illogical. You need to have someone you could talk to that's not going to make you feel judged and just without making you feel judged, tell you like you're not supposed to feel this way. So if she turned them down a couple of times and maybe she was a little bit mean and whatever because of her hormonal state, she's got to brush that shit off. 
and realized this lady just carried his son for nine months and went through all of this pain and and lost some uh, life expectancy to carry your DNA. And you need to get, you know, have some patience with her and give her some time. You know, now if the baby's like walking around and talking and she's still turning you down, you might have an issue. But she, you know, you have a newborn, two, three, four, six, seven, eight months. You know, her hormones could be all messed up. She could go into a depression, postpartum depression. It could last a year even. So you have to... You have to have patience with this with this lady. Maybe go to counseling together. Things get rough. You know, if she's on a short temper, you know, learn how to deal with someone on a short temper and do whatever you can to keep the peace. If you already made the decision to have a child with her, you have to, it's within your responsibility to do everything you can to get along with her and make things, make things come along. So that's it. You know, you in, in a childbirth situation, when you have a newborn, you have to give the women all the passes. If she's moody, if she's demanding, if she, you got to just for a few months, you got to give her all the passes because she just went through something pretty traumatic, for, both physically, there's emotional attachment, there's hormonal stuff. There's a lot of things there and you have to like have a ton of patience with it. All right, so next one is healthy breakfast ideas. So, Rick, I'm going to bring you in on this one. Um, what do you think about this question? What, what advice do you have for healthy breakfast? Skip that shit. Skip breakfast. It's the best uh, idea. Skip it. But, but they said that breakfast is the most uh, important meal of the day. Skip that shit. you have any ideas? Because, I mean, I, we didn't agree. Tell us about that. Tell, no, tell us about. Um, in about, what time is it? 5.30 where I'm at. At 8 p.m., I'll have uh, 48 hours on my dry fast. Just uh, two days of uh, no solids and no liquids. Couldn't even brush my teeth. If you want to do it right, I, I didn't brush my teeth. I, I, ran, um, I ran dental floss through my, through my teeth, even though I haven't eaten anything, right? But just don't. Just get breakfast. Six meals a day sounds great. It's awesome. All this stuff. Um, I was just uh, I was just quarantined with with a fitness chick and she did six meals a day. I personally don't want to have insulin discharged through my body for more than half of the day. Think you, in my personal opinion, I think you have like a remember that movie? The what was that movie with uh, Justin Timberlake? It had the the clock on their arm, the price of time. What was it? Uh, it doesn't ring a bell. Yeah, but they have like a timer. Really. They have like a timer on their hand. He's an actor. He's decent. You, 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 you can be a fan of Justin nowadays, and, and it's not like, and it's, it is cool. Kids know some credible stuff. So, um, so they have like a thing on their arm. I feel kind of the same way about insulin. I think the more hours that your body spends with insulin being discharged through your system, I think it the less hours of vitality, health, life expectancy, life expectancy you actually have. So I do my best to get my protein and get my feeding in, in, a, in the shortest span of time throughout the day. So yeah, I mean, I just, that's just the way I feel. I think insulin contributes to cancer growth. It stops your, uh, your body from getting rid of, of some, some dead cells and some waste just having insulin surging through your body from morning until night 
it's just not, it just can't be healthy for you. So that's what I think. Just skip that shit. Fuck breakfast. Fuck you, breakfast. Uh, just skip that shit. All right. What do you think? Yeah. You know, it's funny growing up as a kid, uh, my mom would force feed me uh, breakfast every morning and I would get sick. Like almost every day I would get uh, sick from it. Uh, because you see the, the, Breakfast companies, really the food industry wants you to consume breakfast. Just like right now during the pandemic, nobody's going out to eat and all the food companies and the restaurants, they're all, they're, they're dying. They're just losing so much money because they depend on people eating, eating, eating nonstop, get up five, 6 AM eat, you know, and then two hours later, eat, two hours later, eat, two hours later, eat. And, um, what Rick said about insulin is something that a lot of you listening don't know about. And I try to, I try to stay patient with people on forums and teach them what happens is when you get up in the morning and you throw a huge breakfast at your body, your insulin levels spike tremendously. So then you're going to find yourself two, three hours later, or even an hour later, hungry again. What is going on? So if you just wake up and don't eat anything, you won't get hungry again. You can just go the whole day without eating anything and you'll be perfectly fine. Now you train your body to eat all the time like this from 6 a.m. to 10 at night, eat, eat, eat. You know, we've been taught that, you know, in the bodybuilding world, we've been taught that that eating food builds muscle. And it's absolutely not the case, at least in, in you know, in, in the developed world, because in the developed world, we get too much food already. If you live in Africa or South Asia or something or Middle East or something, you don't get much food in your diet, then yes, you probably need more food if you're going to succeed at bodybuilding. Absolutely. But if you live in, in, in a developed country, the US, Canada, you know, Western Europe, you're already getting so much food. Just look around. We're, we're so obese. We're so overweight as it is. So it's not food that's going to build your muscle. It's weight training, breaking down that muscle, repairing that muscle. That's going to, that's going to, build your muscle. So I'm not a fan at all of um, throwing food at your body, like right off the bat in the morning and spiking your insulin levels. Because what happens when you do that is you're going to be storing fat, storing fat, storing fat. Um, and that's just going to keep making you more and more fat. Go ahead, Rick. Uh, you want to chime in? And it doesn't mean that you don't get all your protein and all your calories in to grow. You do. You just get it in a shorter window of the day. You don't spread them out throughout the day. So every time you eat a little bit of food, more insulin, a little bit. No, you just, you get those calories in a shorter amount of time and that's it. You try to eat, if you can break it down to where you're eating within a four to six hour window, that's pretty ideal. And just make sure you, and it also helps you're not hungry. It kills the hunger. Once you learn how to time restrict uh, you're feeding. You just don't feel hungry all day. Being hungry is actually not not natural. That that hunger, that that hunger pain that hurts like at the bottom of your stomach, that's not natural. That's an addiction to that fast energy. Is not really your need in the calories because if you feel if you got hunger pains, but you got fat around your your belly, or you got fat under your nipples or under your chin. You're not, a, you're not a fit guy, you know, you're in the teens and body fat, but you have hunger pains and you feel lightheaded because you haven't eaten in five, six hours. 
but you already have stored energy that's inside of your body. Why is your body screaming out for you to take in more food when you have stored energy that'll last you days just in your nipples and your belly and under your chin? Fat fuck. Why? That's just an addiction to that energy. You already have stored energy in your body. And that's just what I'm describing. It's just what's under your skin. You have a whole day's worth in your liver or more. So, no, that, that hunger, that pain, it's just, it's an addiction. It's more the brain level than really your body. So once you learn to restrict your feeding to only a few hours, then all those hunger pains go away, that moodiness, lightheadedness, sugar, you know, your blood sugar dropping, all that, all that shit goes away. And you're able to just kind of live, live life and, and feed and eat what you need to eat. But, so you still get your macros in. You know, if you're bulking, big guy, whatever, you still get your stuff in. You just, uh, you just do it in a short amount of time. Now, if you're competing, if you're a competitor, if you're Mr. Olympia level, your coach is going to have you do something different. You know, it's way different when you're a mass monster holding on to an extra 100 pounds of muscle. But if you're super dad bod on the street, like we just discussed uh, earlier in the podcast today, give this a shot. Time-restricted feeding. Skip that breakfast. You just get your calories in in a shorter uh, span throughout the day. You'll be more productive, get more work done. You'll feel better. It's just a better lifestyle. At least it, it is for me. Yeah, and Rick, uh, we're going to talk about dry fasting on the next Q&A. But um, what you can do if you're just doing a normal water fast the whole day, just drinking water, you can add a little salt, little, add a little cream of tartar. Um, it gives you a little electrolytes. And you'd be surprised that sugar addiction, that carb addiction that you have, a lot of times that's just your body having a little bit of an electrolyte imbalance. So if you just throw some salt water at the issue, your that those cravings for sugar, which are completely unnatural, will go away. Another thing, what Rick was saying about you know being lightheaded and being grumpy, um, you know, I just had someone I talked to. They tried to not eat until about two o'clock and they're like, I couldn't do it. I started getting a headache and I'm like blown away. Um, but what's happening there, guys, um, that's something you just have to push through. And after about two or three weeks, your body is very, very quick to change. So that switch will, that switch will go in about two or three weeks. And then you will feel so good just uh, doing that intermittent fasting and just eating in a small two to four hour window or six hour window during the day versus just throwing breakfast at your body. And before, you know, these guys, um, again, we go back to social media people, not these social media people who think intermittent fasting is a fad or blah, blah, blah. Guys, we've been intermittent fasting for millions of years. Animals in the wild, they intermittent fast. They, they do. You don't see cats and dogs, your pets at home, eating six, eight meals a day. You don't see that. They'll eat one or two meals a day. That's it. In lines in nature, they do the same thing. Oh, people, um, people, yeah. people spoil their pets too they're overweight pets because, that's why yeah you should only feed your and, pets once a day and that's why we're seeing pets getting diabetes getting cancer getting all these diseases that they've never had before they're actually bred out of all those diseases and now they're having them because we're feeding them the way we eat and they just beg for food and ask for food and and eat because we that's their way of kind of getting attention and 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 stuff but a lot of times like dogs are a lot more polite like if you offer a dog food it'll probably take the food but a cat like my cat i'll give her food and she won't eat it 
you know, she's like, I'm not, I'm not hungry. I'm not going to eat it. If you take a lion and you ever see them on nature on TV and they're eating, uh, they're drinking water out of, the, out of the pond in Africa and you see like a gazelle next to the lion drinking water and you're like, why isn't the lion eat the gazelle? What's well, because the lion isn't hungry. The hung lion isn't hungry. He's not going to go and kill that gazelle to eat that gazelle because he doesn't want food right now. But we, we eat for social reasons. We get up, we drive to work, we stop at McDonald's, we gotta have breakfast. We stop at Chick-fil-A, we gotta have breakfast. Stop wherever, Wendy's, whatever. Or we gotta sit down with our family before everyone goes to work, everyone goes to school. We gotta have breakfast as a family. It's a social thing. And then parents, what they'll do, because they buy into the whole breakfast thing, is they'll give their kids cereal, these sugary cereals for breakfast. And right off the bat, they're spiking their kid's blood sugar. They're spiking their kid's insulin. And now the kid is going to either develop obesity, which you can see on, on the kid, or they're going to develop other types of issues that are going to carry on into adulthood, like type 2 diabetes. And we're seeing a growing trend of younger people now getting type 2 diabetes. And it just boggles the mind. That, and now they're actually coming out with a third type of diabetes, type, type 3 diabetes, which is uh, <laughs> you know coming on. And these types of diseases we've never had before. And I just want to say one more thing before I let you jump in, Rick. You see these guys on social media say intermittent fasting, you're going to lose muscle in intermittent fasting. But here's the truth. When you're, when you're fasting 10-hour fast, like Rick right now, he's been fasting for two days, his HGH levels are sky high. Absolutely sky high. So you're insulin, not insulin inhibits the way that human growth hormone moves across the cells. When you have insulin through your, spiked in, in your system, the HEH that your body makes just doesn't reach as many cells than when it's not there. That's that's the power of fasting. So once you hit that 10 hour mark with fasting, it the HGH in your level keeps increasing, increasing, increasing for five days. Till it hits a peak, then it starts trending back down. So if you fast for five days or left, you're not going to lose muscle. You're not going to lose muscle. You're going to lose a little, you're going to lose water, but out of your cell. Okay. But that's not muscle tissue. Muscle tissue will not be lost during a fast, but you're going to lose some water out of the muscle and that will give the impression that, yeah, I'm losing muscle. But really, so if you're fasting consistently, you will gain more muscle over time because you're getting those HGH pulses that you wouldn't have gotten before. So these people on social media, once you tell them that, it shuts them up. And then the other thing that's cool about fasting is when you're fasting the whole day and then eating in a window versus spreading out your food throughout the day, your metabolism actually is stronger doing that. So you not only will get a spike of HGH, but you're also going to increase your meta metabolic rate and increase your adrenaline and increase that fat burning. So right, right now what Rick is experiencing is a lot of fat burn and a lot of HGH spike in his body naturally without using anything. So that's, that's the benefits. Uh, the benefits are tremendous, not to mention the autophagy benefits, but we're going to get into that on the next Q&A as well. Anything else you want to add, Rick? Yeah. Um, for anybody out there that doubts that fasting is a good practice or thinks, believes that you really need breakfast every single morning to be healthy, we're going to tell you guys this. Homo sapiens, humans, in this form that we walk around in every day, have been around for about 100,000 years uh, or so, right, we think. If we needed 
if human, if the human body needed breakfast in the morning, needed a stove and refrigerator to make breakfast every morning, before you can get out and get going, before you can go take on your day, before you can go take on the prey, then the other animals would have fucked us up a long time ago. There'd be no humans right now. We would have never made it far enough to develop arrows or develop writing or develop, or develop any of the things that we have in the modern world today. We would have been outcompeted. We would have been fucked up by every other creature out there if we had to get up and have breakfast in the morning before we can get out and do a little something. If we needed to stop in the afternoon and have lunch or we would get lightheaded. If we needed to have a nice big meal every night before bed or we couldn't sleep because our tummy was growling. If, if humans needed all of that for the last hundred some thousand years, we would have been outcompeted. We would have been outclassed. We would have became extinct. The reason humans are still alive today and we were able to develop all this shit is because our body structure, the way we're built, we're able to fast and not eat for days and live on our fat storages. And we're able to run for hours. We can outrun most other animals out there because of the way we sweat in our skin and the way just running and the wind cools our bodies, something that doesn't happen to, to quadrupeds and a lot of other animals. So really, it is part of what has helped us stay alive this long is we have the ability to not eat for days and days and days while we're still alert, while we're still walking around, while we're still ready to hunt and kill the prey after we run across it, after five days of no food and sometimes no water. Because sometimes even the water supply might be foul and couldn't be consumed and we'd have to relocate. And humans went through this for tens of thousands, 100,000 years before we had what we have today, which is a refrigerator and a stove. So you don't need it. Don't, our, our bodies have not evolved to need to now all of a sudden eat three times a day. You don't. You don't, you don't need it. Your body's built to fast and you should be fasting. You shouldn't carry all of this extra body fat on you everywhere. It's, your body is only meant to carry it so that if one day you can't eat, you actually burn that up. So, no, no, you don't need, you don't need to eat three times a day. Yeah, and the absurdity of how you need breakfast or you're not going to lose weight. Uh, I saw some dietitian uh, on TV talking about this. Oh, the reason you can't lose weight is you're not eating breakfast. You need to get your metabolism up. I mean, these people are educated like six years of college and they get taught like incorrect information and that that's the problem. It goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of the podcast Too TMI, too much information, you know, is out there and you don't know what to listen to. We're telling you breakfast is not necessary to, to bodybuild. We're telling you this, but then you turn on the TV, uh, and you see some dietitian on there saying that you need breakfast. So this is why, um, guys, it boils down to, you know, um, you know, who do you trust with the information? So, um, you know, look, at the end of the day, just a side note on that, by the way, guys, just so we keep it in context. If you're 270 pounds, 6% body fat, yeah, you might need two or three breakfasts and a couple of lunches and a few dinners. If this is your level, if this is the guy, this is the kind of guy you are, right? And you're already in, at, that, at that size, you're already pumping a few IUs of insulin a day. I'm sorry, not just insulin, but you're already pumping also a few IUs of, of a human growth hormone a day. 
so yeah, yeah, you might you might actually need to eat from the time you wake until the time you sleep. You might need to set an alarm and wake up three, four hours into your nap to get some food in and then go back to bed in the middle of the night if you are that kind of guy, that level. But we're mainly talking to the, guy, the super dad bods out there, the guy who wants to just look good with his shirt off with, with the most minimal amount of drugs and the minimal amount of, of intricateness and craziness, right? So, I mean, here, here's – go ahead, yeah. Because, I mean, you, 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 would agree, you would agree, Steve. Guy, a guy stepping on stage, you know, mass monster. Here's the he, thing. He's got to eat from, from, wait, wait. from time we wake up until he goes to bed. Well, at least okay, when at least when he's building that mask, going up to the show, he's going to starve himself. That's just how it goes, right? But but if you follow what he's doing, you're just going to get fat. That's the bottom line. You could take anything he's taking. The second thing is those guys, their 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 lifespan is is much much shorter. Um, I'll use Rich Piana example. He still was pushed eat ten meals a day, eat ten meals a day. Rich Piana, the last two years of his life, I guarantee you, he could not absorb any of his food. All that food he was throwing at his body, he could not absorb it. So it was completely pointless. What he should have done was exactly what we're saying. He should have done what we're saying to kind of reset his body, to kind of cleanse his body, to heal his body. He'd still be alive today instead of keep throwing 10 meals a day. The people who eat that much, okay, that are listening to this podcast, if you're sitting there and you eat six, seven, eight meals a day, you keep throwing food at your body, over time, you're going to develop gut issues. You're not going to be able to absorb your food properly. So you're going to keep needing more and more food. What I'm saying is, if you teach your body to be efficient, efficient bodies are better than inefficient bodies because you can absorb everything. So if you're eating one meal a day, one solid meal a day, and you're absorbing all of that nutrition from that one meal, that's better than eating 10 meals a day and absorbing 10% of, of the stuff that you're eating. That's my point. And that's, that's, that's the truth. That's why you see people who follow that lifestyle like okay let's say the blue zones the people who live in the blue zones they all intermittent fast and they all fast in icara they actually fast half the year they'll eat every other day that's their life that's their lifestyle they'll eat every other day but they're so healthy they live to 80 90 100 no problem i mean it's it's easy they have no health problems at all but then the american lifestyle of eating breakfast huge breakfast we got to eat a huge breakfast we got to eat uh you know five pancakes with syrup uh, three eggs toast butter uh, bacon sausage gotta have that huge denny's ihop breakfast because that's what they want you to think and guess what they're in their 30s they're in their 40s and they cannot they their guts are destroyed they have no gut they can't absorb anything so basically they end up with all these health problems so even if you're at that level, Rick, even if you're at that level, they still should be taking time out of their month to do, do a little fasting just to get things cleansed out, just to get a little autophagy, and that would actually benefit them more. And we see this with pro professional athletes like Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, I, I keep going. These guys, they intermittent fast, and they're, you know, uh, they're the best players They've been doing this for a long time. They know the trick to longevity. They know the trick. So this is where Tracy – guys, use common sense. We're telling you something. They're telling you something. You know, someone else is telling you something else. Just use common sense on this stuff, and you decide what makes more sense. What I'm saying makes sense. 
that you want to have an efficient body where you can take advantage of everything you eat. We just had a, someone post today on the forum. They're like, oh, why can't you just take vitamins from the store? Just eat processed foods all day and take vitamins from the store. Guess what? You're not going to be able to absorb those vitamins. Why do you think so many people who eat tons of red meat and are overweight have low B12 levels? Hmm, why is that? Why do they have Crohn's disease? Why do they have IBS, all these gut health issues? Because they can't absorb shit. So now they have to supplement with B12. They have to inject B12 because they cannot take B12 orally and they can't get B12 from their food, red meat, which has lots of B12, but they still are deficient. But then a vegan who eats a plant-based diet doesn't have B12 deficiencies. Hmm, why is that? Well, I thought plants... Plant-based foods don't have very much B12 at all. Where are they getting their B12? Well, it's because their bodies are efficient and those plants are sucking up the B12 from the soil. On, but we'll talk more about this tomorrow, guys. Um, you know, we're going to move on to the next. We'll talk about this more tomorrow, guys. But just use common sense on this stuff and see if what I'm saying makes sense. If it doesn't make we're gonna sense. We're going to do a big, uh, a big fasting and steroids podcast. Uh, the next Q&A uh, is going to be... Um, fasting and steroids let's, let's do steve let's do some some good research this week and uh, i'll talk to a buddy of mine that does juice and fast too we'll get some good info for all these guys the next uh podcast we're doing is aromacin uh aromatase inhibitor so uh anti-estrogen so you guys know that is the very next compound podcast so yeah we'll get more into into fasting and, and steroids and maybe some techniques of using some fat burners and some steroids with our fasting techniques with with uh, intermittent fasting, with time-restricted feeding, with dry fasting. Um, we could do a whole, a whole big uh, Q&A uh, fasting episode, Steve. Yeah, it's going to motivate a lot of people. So last topic, guys. Uh, Rick, I'm going to bring you in on this one right away. It says, uh, wife turned mean after we got married. That's the first part. And I'm curious to hear from you if you know what this person's talking about. Because I sure as hell know what they're talking about. I've never been married, but I've been in relationships where this has happened. He says she's being short with him, et cetera. He wants to use steroids, but she, he's scared that she will get super pissed. So I'm going to bring you in on this and I get your thoughts on this situation. Yeah. Uh, how long did he know her before they got married? I mean, if she, if she was going to turn mean on him for whatever reason, if he had a long relationship before time than not, she should have, she should have turned well before. So maybe sounds like this guy got married a little bit too soon, or maybe he knew her as a friend and he got married uh, too soon after they became uh, an item. They became intimate. Maybe it, because I mean, it could look, it could be different things. Familiarity breeds contempt. So if she thought you were one type of guy, and she married the guy you thought you were, she thought you were, or you try to make her believe you were. And now that she's with you next to you every day, she's realizing you're not that guy. It's going to be some contempt. It's going to be some issues and she's going to change. She's going to treat you different. Why is she treating you different? Cause we're human and we all treat different people differently depending how we regard them. So now that she's seeing you in a different light cause she's next to you every day, and now she knows who you really are. So now she's treating you in a different way. This, this, is the more, this is the most logical thing, I think, is that her perception of who you are, of who, which, who she sees you as, has changed. And so has changed the way she treats you. 
how that perception has changed or what you've done to change it? That's a good question. Maybe you've changed. Maybe you've become a little bitch and she's lost respect for you. Maybe you've, you stopped being the man of the house, stopped being, you know, assertive and discerning and, and she started to notice you kind of weak. So she's, uh, you know, she doesn't know why she's treating you like this, but it's just her reaction because you, maybe you're acting like a bitch. So that's an, that could happen. That could also happen. So look within yourself for the answer. And then look, unless she, like, like a question we just had, unless she just had like a child and she's going through some big hormonal changes or something along those lines, or maybe she just got moody with you at that time of the month, something along those lines, unless it's something that you can easily point to. If no children, no period, she just started treating you differently. Then that's it, bro. She's seeing you differently, Jack. That's what's going on. And I mean, gosh, she's with, we need a lot more information from you to be able to tell this guy what's going on. But she's seen him differently. That, that, that's what it is. What do you think, Steve? I dated a girl in college uh, for, for several years, four years off and on. And she was very mean. She, she was a bitch. And she got that behavior from her, her sibling because she had an older sister who treated her husband the same way, like, like, you know, like shit. So I just put up with it because I, mean, I didn't really know any better. I mean, it's my first long-term relationship when you're that age. So I just put up with it. But now if a girl does that, I mean, that to me is a red flag that, um, you know, that's a red flag that she, once you are married, that she's going to turn it up a notch and start treating like shit. So I think it's very important to get to know a person at a mature age um, you know, like a lot of women in their twenties, they're bitches. And, um, you know, and once they kind of get older, they kind of switch between the twenties and the forties. Once women are in their forties, they start to realize, you know what, treating men like shit all my life hasn't really got me anywhere. So I got to start being nice. Um, I like the, the, the sock trick. I don't know if you've ever tried this Rick, but let's say you go to, it's a cold night. You go to lay down in the bed. And you're like, man, you're like, damn, my feet are cold. Uh, I forgot my socks, you know, um, and see what she does. Does she get up and go get you socks and put the socks on while you're, while you're in bed, you know, or if you're sick and she makes you, you know, some tea or make you some broth and trying to make you feel better. Does she do that? And then on the flip side, are you doing that for her? I mean, the guys aren't innocent too. You know, I, I can remember a girl one time she was sick. She had, um, she had like the flu. So I went, I took the blanket and I threw it in the dryer for like five minutes. It was nice and hot. And I put it on her and she went right to sleep while she was sick. So, I mean, these are things you got to take care of each other. And this is why you get to know a person before getting married. So um, I have, a, I find it very hard to believe that she just decides to turn mean out of nowhere. I think that those red flags were there, but you just chose to ignore them because you we're in love with her. But, um, you know, that's why you get to know someone. You don't get married to them, you know, so, so early in life uh, because people do change. And, you know, women, um, you know, women, as they get older, they change a lot. And I guarantee you this relationship, they're probably like late 20s or early 30s, this relationship that they're in. And I guarantee you if they were like 45, she would not be treating like this at all because women when they're at that age they know that it's slim pickings once you get in your 40s and 50s for women it is slim 
picking. So you better treat your guy like gold because it's hard to find men. Men die younger. Men can date women any age. Look at Clint Eastwood. Didn't he marry a girl like 25 years younger than him? I mean, so a guy who's 60 can marry a 40-year-old, but a woman who's 60 isn't going to be marrying a 40-year-old unless, you know, she's very, very rare. It's like 95% of the time it's, it's men marrying young, not the other way. So, you know, I think that that's a situation where you get married to someone you don't really know well enough and you have to kind of like see how they behave in certain situations is she going to take care of you when you're sick or is she gonna just like not give a fuck about you that's that's a big one for me that i look at and i've had girls do it both ways it's gonna be one one thing or the other so it's interesting to see what they do sometimes women just feel like you know, that men can just take care of themselves. I don't have to do shit. But really, really, men, we need the nurturing from women. And in the second question, he's scared about steroids. Again, it goes back to you should have brung this up before you got married to her. Because now that you're married and you're do- introducing something else, you don't know how she's going to react. But at least before you were married, you could have so again, it's another example of you were young when you got married. You weren't really fully, you know, evolved in your hobbies and what you like to do and stuff. So it's a shame that you want to get into bodybuilding. You want to take things to the next level and use steroids, use performance enhancing drugs, but you run that risk of seriously pissing her off. And it sounds like she's just finding anything to get mad at you about. So I don't know what to tell you here, bro. You, you, you know, I'm saying it's an example. It's a lesson for everybody else. Don't run off and get married until you've matured and she's matured enough where you really know who you are, you know, cause I use steroids and my girlfriend's good with it. So one day, if I, you know, a year from now, five years from now, if we get married, she's not going to say shit to me cause she already knows about it. So I know that it's not a big deal to her, but if I was to just go and meet someone and get married without them knowing who I really am and things, something were to come up, I don't know how the person is going to react. You know, just to build on what you just said, Steve, uh, about knowing yourself, self-awareness, knowing yourself, knowing who you are, getting married, all these things. You got to know who you are. You got to know yourself. You really do. And that's going to help you make a lot of decisions, very easy decisions that you're not going to regret later. If you know who you are, really know yourself at the core with your faults and your virtues and everything, you really know yourself, then when you have a decision that you need to make, you can look ahead and and predict with a good level of certainty whether this decision is one you're going to be able to live with and be happy with five, 10 years from now, if you know yourself. If you don't know yourself, then chances are you're probably not going to going to make the right decision. You're going to think you're going to feel a certain way about this decision down the line, but when the time passes, you you won't feel that way. So um, as far as uh, when it comes to knowing yourself and how that really applies well to your, to your significant other. And this is something guys that's taking me, geez, 40 years to learn going through different relationships. So hear me out. You got to learn, you got to know yourself well to know how you receive and how you give love how you receive and how you give love. And same thing with your partner or the potential partner or the person you're dating. 
You got to understand and know how they give and how they receive love. Because two people that maybe like each other a lot and want to have something going, they may not be able to ever make something work because they both give and receive love differently. Because the way that maybe one person gives love is not the way the other person feels loved. And so, and maybe the way that the, the other person receives love is not the, the way the other person gives love. And then you have two people that are, that get together and are very frustrated because they feel they're, they're given everything and they're getting nothing back. And the other person also feels they're given everything and they're getting nothing back. And the only disagreement in the middle there is that the way one person gives love is not the way the other person receives it. I'll give you an example. You talked about the socks, right? I say, hey, my feet are cold. You know, you want to see if she's going to get up and get you socks. I personally don't feel love because somebody gets up and gets something for me or anything. As a matter of fact, that's the way I give love. If you're, if she's laying in bed, we're laying in bed, we're about to go to bed and she wants a little something to drink. She wants a cup of water. She forgot something. She forgot something in the car. Shit. She needs something from the store. I'll get up and I'll go get it. Snow on the ground, whatever. Don't give a fuck. I'll go, I'll walk a block or two and I'll go get, I'll go get her whatever she needs from the store. If I love this lady and it won't even be a thing. It'll be fine. I'll listen to, I'll listen to the podcast on the way to and from the store. I don't care. That's, that's, that's not how I receive love. And if she got up and she went and got me my socks or got me a cup of water, I would say, Hey, thanks. But that's not how I receive love. It, it means nothing to me. Right. On the other hand, if, you know, if after I get her, her socks and her cup of water and it's bedtime and I want to get some, if I want to have sex and, and she, oh, I'm just a little bit of a headache. I'm kind of I'm a little sleepy that then I'm not feeling loved. Because, I mean, unless you're really, really like sick and not feeling well, you know, why not? Right. And so it's a, it's just differently. It's differently how, how people give and receive love. And if you just, and if you learn, if you know how you give it and how you receive it and, and you manage to find someone that receives it the same way you give it and that gives love the same way you receive it, you're going to be happy because every day you'll be doing things to make this person feel loved. And they'll get it. And every day this person will be make, doing things to make you feel loved. And it'll, and it'll click right in with the ways that you, that you feel loved. See what I'm saying? So that's it. Just know yourself, know the other person, and you can make it work. But until you can both give and receive love in, 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 ways, in ways that are compatible, it's just not going to work out. It's almost got to be 50-50. And I don't mean just necessarily like one person pays – you know, you each share, share the bills 50-50. I asked my old podcast host, Mason, Masonic Bodybuilder on the forums. I asked him this question. I'm like, doesn't that bother you that you go to work every day and she's just sitting home with the kids and cleaning? You're, you're making all the money, 100% of the money's from you. And he said, no. I'm, I'm like, really? He's like, no, because I'd much rather go to work all day than stay home and do housework and take care of kids. So that's their 50-50. It works. Do you, do, you you feel, do you feel loved if, if your girl gives, gives you something or helps you with bills or something like that? Is that, is that do, you, do you personally, Steve, feel like you're receiving love when she does that? If I'm uh, doing what? Paying if you, bills? If your, girl, if, your girl, yeah, if your girl helps you financially. No, not at all. Uh-uh. Okay. Uh, it, it would not make any difference to me there you, at all. There, there, there you go. Now, if your girl cooks you a meal do you feel loved if she cooks you a meal 
it's yeah because it's something special yeah i do what about what about if if she cooks you a meal and then she says and then and, and then she says all right steve since i cooked you're gonna do the dishes do you still feel loved it's it drops down a lot <laughs> see all right see so like for me i don't give a fuck about cooking me meals like i either gonna eat out or i like to cook because i you know how my food should be prepared i'm, I'm great at it now, if somebody wants to help me clean, see that that makes me that makes me feel loved. You know, what I'm saying helping me with with the cleaning because nobody likes to do it, right? Now, when you lay down with your girl and she lets you pick the movie or she lets you pick what you're going to watch, if you guys are going to watch something together, do you feel loved by that or do you not care? Not loved, but I mean, I just uh, I want to pick something we both will enjoy. But it, but it's but it, somebody's got a gift because usually. Significant other tends to have different tastes. So somebody's got to. Right? No, I mean, if I like something that she doesn't like, I'll just watch it by myself or go to a different room and watch it. If she likes something. What if she wants it. to watch a, a romantic comedy with you? Would you sit there and watch it with her? If it's a good romantic comedy, yes. But I mean, if it's a shitty movie, I'm not going to waste my time. I'm going to waste two hours watching a shitty movie. If it's a good movie, got good reviews, it's got good actors, then of course. Yeah. 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 See, it's, it's all that stuff is different. Some people feel loved if their significant other lets them pick what they're going to watch. Some people don't care. Some, you know, these small things. Some people like to be told and, and hear nice things. Some people just like to be touched. You know what I mean? I mean, one way a, 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 my exes could show me love is just, you know, climb on my back and squeeze a couple of pimples out. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's love right there for me. You know, if you're helping me, yeah, I can't, I can't reach that that little spot I got in the middle of my back, and she goes there, and, you know, helps me clear out that little pore. That that's love right there. Also, you know, I'll cook, but I like somebody helping me with my cleaning. You know, that's that's cool. So, different little things, right? And and uh, and that's what you know. People receive it and give it differently. So whenever whenever people run into one of these problems, marriage and all this stuff is. It's just that giving and receiving love differently because that person is going to be doing things to give love. Like, for example, when you're home, you might feel loved if you're significant to other when she's not at work. If she tries to spend time with you and hangs out next to you, even if it's just uh, playing on her phone while you're on the computer or whatever. Or you might actually feel loved if she leaves you the hell alone and lets you have your space and is not in, in your up in your mix and, and you know next to your desk when you're working but actually sits and waits for you to be ready to go hang out with her. And so you just have to just have to find that person where they receive it the way you give it and they give it the way you receive it and you'll be all right. All right, guys. So great podcast, guys. Listen to our next one. We're going to do an aromacin chemical episode. For Steve, me, and Rick, another episode of Evolutionary Radio. We'll talk to you guys next week. Have a good one. Have a good one, Steve. Have a good one, guys. Guys, this is the required legal disclaimer. We are only sharing our experience from years of steroid use. We are not doctors, and none of what we say should be regarded as medical advice. Always check with your doctor before taking any drugs or starting any training program.